I was talking to somebody recently I ran into, I had, I had prayed for this person for some time, and they mentioned that they had actually thought about coming and, and joining us for worship one Sunday. And I, I thought they were really sincere when they said that, and that got me to thinking about an event that I attended last weekend where, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where it felt like God just wanted you to meet somebody. Well, that was the situation that I was in. I got to, to hear, sit down and meet and hear the story of somebody that several of you, if I mentioned this person, you would know that, that you've actually prayed for for some time. And that got me thinking of what John Paul Watson said to me. John Paul is the one who gave the charge to me after, at our organization service a couple of weeks ago and he said man I wish I had had more time there is so much that I would have liked to have said and he said you know I would have loved to remind everybody that that there are are people here tonight that you prayed for for two years before they showed up at grace and then they didn't just show up they showed up and they got involved in the life of the church Uh, some of you are, are are here quite literally because you were prayed into this church uh, and, and prayed into being a part of what God is doing. And that's all, I mean, that's also encouraging. But there's also this sense, if you've been here, those of you who have been here kind of for the long haul from, from the very beginning, you can relate to what I'm about to say that it feels like as a church, we've been running this exhausting marathon, and with the particularization service, it feels like we just kind of collapsed across the finish line. And I, I honestly just kind of want to lay there and go, I hope this thing's going to go on fine while I just kind of sit here for a little bit. Uh, and so there's this sense of relief and sense of exhaustion at the same time. And it's like through these little, these little stories I was telling you at the beginning that God was, was giving me this little reminder. It's like he was saying, look, this church, Grace Presbyterian Church, has been prayed into existence. And for it to go forward, and for people to come to know Jesus, and for people to, to, to grow in their walk with Jesus, you can't just stop praying and rely on the fact, well, we've reached critical mass now, and it's just going to take on a life of its own. You, you have to rely on me. Pause, celebrate, catch your breath, plan, do all that stuff, but don't start relying on man when I'm the one that got you here. Don't start relying on man now when I'm the one who got you here. As one of my friends said many years ago, when it comes to ministry, prayer is the work. Prayer is the work. So this message this morning is kind of uh, a little encouragement to me, but I hope it's an encouragement to you also uh, to be people of prayer and to continue steadfastly in prayer. So Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, this is God's word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. 
I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray together. Uh, Father, help us as we uh, think about this teaching on prayer. Uh, I pray that this would not just be more information on prayer for us, but that uh, you would actually uh, use your word now to shape us into a people who pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're going to talk about prayer. Uh, What I want to do is to talk about what's promised when we pray, to talk about what we're called to do, uh, to talk about what stands in our way when we seek to pray, and then hopefully a way forward for us. First of all, what's promised when God's people pray? Uh, in, a, in a similar passage in Matthew 7, Jesus says, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Uh, Jesus promises us that when we as His people pray, God promises to give us good gifts. The Holy Spirit being the, the best and the most necessary of those good gifts. Uh, Doug Kelly in his book, If God Already Knows Why Pray, says... Prayer changes the world. It makes good things happen because it gets God's will done and thus brings down His best blessings. The God of Scripture has great blessings stored up for His people, but He has so planned it that those blessings can only be released by the prayers of His people. And then he tells a story of a guy named Willie Black. Willie Black was a uh, a pastor of a small country church in Scotland. And one day, they were having a missionary, a, a missions conference at his church, had a, a missionary come and speak. And he was uh, talking about uh, missions in the Far East. Uh, particularly, he was talking about missions in Korea. And Willie Black said that, that when he heard this man speaking, he felt physically weighted down. And he eventually became convinced that God was calling him to leave his church in Scotland and go and serve in Korea in missions. He said that the first month that he was in Korea, a a stranger showed up at his door, and he asked him, he said, hey, will you teach us how to do expository preaching? Which is just kind of work through the Bible and go verse by verse. And he came to Willie Black and said, will you teach us how to do that? And what Willie said was, no, I need to be here for a couple years. I need to get the lay of the land. I need to do some of the things the missions board wants me to do before I can do that. But what he thought was, that's exactly what I feel like the Lord is calling me here to do. And so he responded, no. But the visitor continued and said, but we've been praying for a long time. For somebody with your gift set to to show up and teach us. We started praying and then he named the month they started praying. And it was the exact same month that Willie had been convinced that he needed to go to Korea and go in to missions. Here's a man who was literally moved across the globe by God's people praying. 
God works through the prayers of His people to bring us good gifts. That's what He tells us. That's what Jesus tells us in His Word. So, so let me ask you something. If, if I told you that right now, standing out in the parking lot, and you can't go see Him until after the service, so you can't leave now, but standing outside in the parking lot was a very wealthy, very generous man who had sent word in that he has some great gifts he would like to give away. And, and all you have to do is just come see him after the service and ask for them. Would, would you take him up on that? Would you, would you go at least see what he has? Would you go ask him? What Jesus is telling us is that the richest, the wisest, the most loving being in the universe tells you to come to him and ask, and he will give you good gifts. God promises good gifts to his people when we ask. So secondly then, as we're promised, what are we called to do? Well, we're called to ask, right? But there's a little more to it than that. Uh, in the text, Jesus goes on to tell this story. He tells a story about a man who, shows, who has a friend show up on his doorstep late at night asking for food. And he doesn't have any food to give him, so he goes to his neighbor's house to, to get some food for him to eat. He says, you know, hey, you know, give me some bread. My, my friend's showing up. I don't have anything to give him. The store's closed. Can you help me out here? Now, if this happened at my house, my wife says I'm not a Christian until 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, and that, so, so I'm good from about 10 to 1, I think. And I, after that, I'm not sure. But, but if you showed up at my house in the middle of the night, banging on the door, and got the dogs barking, and the kids awake, and I would probably just let the dogs out on you, or I would, or I would say, Man, just, just come back tomorrow, and then I would go back to muttering to my terrified wife in the bed. Um, but, but in our text, these are, these are one-room houses, and they've got kind of pads laid down, and it's, all, it's just one big room, and everybody's laying next to each other, and they generally had kind of a bar across the door as a, as a lock. And so you would, you know, they would knock on the door, and you would have to get up and disturb everybody and light a light and, and, and go to the door. And so the guy in our story basically says, go away, nobody's home, go to the next house. But finally... He gets up, and he goes and he gives the man what he wants. Why? Why does he finally get up? The text says it was because of his impudence. And that's not a word we use a lot. Some of our translations say it was because of his boldness or his persistence. So, so, so think of those kind of wrapped in the one. You get the idea, he's got to have some bread. And he's willing to stand there and, and knock on the door all night long and look like a fool until this guy gets up and gives him some bread. All right, uh, imagine if you or, or one of your loved ones, say someone you know had been affected by the, the president's immigration order, and I'm not trying to make any kind of political statement saying this. Let's just imagine that somebody's been affected by this. Like your mother had been stuck outside of the country and you were desperate to get help for her. And you knew that the president was appearing at a local event. And so because you were so desperate, you rushed through security, you broke in the line, and you got on your knees before the president and said, please, can you do something about this 
to help my mother get back into the country. And they kicked you out and you ran back in and did the same thing over again. And they kicked you out and you ran back in and did the same thing over and over again. That's humiliating. That's embarrassing. That's persistent. That's, that's what this text is getting at in this word impudence. And, and the point being made is this. If this guy really didn't want to get up out of bed and go get this, his friend some bread, but because of the man's persistence, he finally got up and gave him what he needed, how much more will our Father who loves us answer our persistent prayers? Uh, to quote from Doug Kelly again, What kind of person will actually be enabled to pray down God's glory into this world, hallow His name among men, advance His kingdom and get His will done in their particular circumstances or in the wider community? Jesus tells it as someone who will be utterly shameless and completely unembarrassed and thus keep on asking. And so Jesus says to ask. And to ask and we'll receive good gifts. But we've got to be persistent and continue to ask and continue to come to God and continue to make our requests known to Him. We've got to do from what from our perspective looks like we're bugging God. Like, hey, 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 hey. And, and, and Jesus is telling us that we're actually supposed to do that. That God wants us to do that. Now, why? Why does, why does God work in this way? Um, three things, and the first is, a, is a, another quote from Dr. Kelly's book, uh, and then a couple other ideas. Let me just read the quote first. He says, It seems that we have a God who loves for us to become so desperate that at last we realize we have come to an end to ourselves and to our human resources. We have to discover that we simply can't handle everything by ourselves. That all our cleverness, all our talents, all our family or business connections, and all our education are totally insufficient. Sometimes only that sort of situation can make us desperate and determined enough to throw ourselves on His mercy and keep crying out. And it seems that our God is touched by that kind of desperation. It seems that our God is touched by that type of desperation. It can take a long time for you and I to give up on our ability to fix things. Like we're fixers. Like we, we can do this eventually. And to give up and to trust God. It can take a while for us to learn helplessness. Uh, secondly, while we're praying, there's often spiritual warfare going on that, that we aren't aware of. Uh, Daniel chapter 10, I think, is a great example of this. In, in Daniel chapter 10... We're told that Daniel began to pray for the release of the Israelites from captivity. And in verse 12, an angel comes to Daniel and says this, Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, who is this evil demonic being, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And notice what he's saying to to Daniel. He's saying, I have come in response to your words. Why am I here? Because you prayed and because you kept praying. And while you were praying for those 21 days, there was a battle raging and finally an answer came to your prayers. 
do you think there might be any spiritual hindrances to us as a church going forward with our mission to reach and to equip? To us trying to proclaim the gospel in Spartanburg? To, to us seeing sin put to death in our own lives? Uh, at our organization service, I, I honestly got a little tickled at Steve Sorensen, our, at one of our the Mount Calvary elders who was praying because he, he kept praying uh, Satan is going to attack this church and God will you protect them and Satan is attacked and God protect and I was like Steve you got to kind of got Satan on the brain here man was this the only thing you thought about to pray tonight uh, and he's a friend of mine so I can say that um, but you know what he's 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 right he was right um, Satan doesn't like what we're doing here He's, he's opposed to what we're doing here. He's opposed to a church that's trying to, to preach the gospel and be a refuge for sinners. And so we, we have to pray. And we have to pray realizing that there may be unseen spiritual hindrances to our prayers. When we pray, there are, there are things going on in the unseen world that we have no comprehension of, of what is happening. And if we stop praying... That battle's not won and our prayers aren't answered and the blessings won't come. And so if, if the gospel's going to bear fruit, whether it's in the city or in my life or in your life, in, in the lives of people in countries where there's very little gospel light, God's people have to enter into the battle and we have to pray. A, a third reason for the delay often, why it's such a struggle, why you have to keep praying is that God is doing things in you and me and in the world around us that that quite simply take time. Uh, And as we keep coming to God and wrestling with Him in prayer, as as Jacob did in Genesis, God brings us closer to Him. He breaks us down. He makes changes in us. uh, Things that can only happen over a long period of time. As we pray, God makes necessary and painful changes in us. And he makes changes in the world around us as well. And again, all that takes time. All that takes time. And so we pray on. And God has arranged little things to fall into place, which cause larger things to fall into place. You know, people were, were praying for the fall of communism in, in Eastern Europe for a long time before that actually happened. Uh, when, when, when God delays in answering our prayers, uh, I've heard this illustration, it's kind of like a farmer waiting to pick the fruit at the right time. You know, a little kid goes and sees the first little blueberry on the bush and wants to pick it or wants to pick the watermelon when it's this big. and It's not ripe yet. You can't pick it yet. You have to wait until that thing is right. But the farmer knows the right time. He knows when it's time to harvest the crop. God does that. He knows when it's the right time to harvest the crop to answer our prayers. So we, we pray and we continue in, pray, in prayer. Uh, and as we pray, things are changing in us. Things are changing in the world around us. Things are changing in the unseen world. The, the crop is, is ripening and so we pray and we wait on God. We pray and we wait on God. Well, Let's be honest. Like that, that all sounds nice, right? And we like these really great promises God makes. And we know that we're called to, to persevere in prayer. 
But there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way of that, right? What, what are some of the things that get in our way? Well, life gets in the way sometimes. Some of us are just at difficult stages in life. And it's really hard to find space and energy to actually pray. And so life can get in the way. Sometimes our busyness, our, our own manufactured busyness gets in the way. Uh, Paul Miller in his book on prayer makes a comment that America is the hardest place in the world to learn how to pray because we're so busy. And when we slow down, we find it uncomfortable because we think we're supposed to be doing something. We're kind of driven by this idol of productivity. We're supposed to be busy. We need to get back to work, not just sit here praying. What is that really accomplishing? And so we work ourselves to exhaustion and then we, when we finally can't go anymore, we veg out on you know, 13 straight episodes of something on Netflix on the couch to, to recuperate. <laughs> right? Yes? Alright? But, 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 but in, in nowhere in that do we think about praying. We don't think of prayer as hey, maybe this would be restorative. So our, our busyness gets in the way our competency gets in the way. Uh, Miller goes on to say that some of the things we value in our culture are intellect and competency and wealth. And he says, because we can do life without God, praying seems nice but unnecessary. Like we, we can kind of do life until things get really hard without God. And so it seems nice, but it doesn't seem necessary. Money can do what prayer does, and it is quicker and less time consuming. Our trust in ourselves and our talents makes us structurally independent of God. We say, I, I got this. this. This is not really prayer worthy. I can handle this. Which means our own ability, our own competence gets in the way. And so we don't pray because we don't actually feel helpless. Um, Miller tells a story. They have an, an autistic child named Kim. And she just always wakes up early. She wake up at 4.30 in the morning and she starts pacing, and she paces really loudly, and she'll get up and she'll pace, and she'll turn on the light at the hall and pace, and they'll yell at her to go back to bed, and she'll go back to bed, and then five minutes later she gets up and she paces. And they have a three-story house, and she's pacing on the third floor, and Paul is on the second floor trying to have his devotions, and Jill is on the first floor, and Jill can hear her pacing from the third floor to the first floor, so she yells at Paul to yell at her to stop. And so it's just like this yelling thing going on early every morning. He said they talked to a neurologist and they gave her some medicine and it just made her gain a lot of weight so they stopped the medicine and went back to just yelling all the time. Uh, But he said this, he said he realized that they had prayed for her all of her life but they never prayed with her or for her specifically about pacing. They hadn't prayed for that specific thing. And he, and he thought, why have I never prayed specifically for this? And this is what he said, because I already knew the solution. Kim needs to stop pacing. I will tell her to stop pacing. In other words, I didn't feel helpless. I knew what to do. I call this the idiot approach to life. In other words, you idiot, if you would just stop. Like that, that's all that needs to be done. You just need to stop. See, it, when we think we know what needs to be done and just can accomplish that through our words, we don't feel helpless. And if we don't feel helpless, if we think we can do life on our own, prayer just feels like one more religious obligation tacked on. Like I'm, I can really do this, and so I don't need to pray. But the preacher told me I was supposed to pray, 
and say, okay, I guess, I guess I'll pray then. We don't pray because we don't see how helpless we really are. Uh, a fourth thing that gets in the way is our cynicism. All right? does, does, and, and we all wrestle with this. Does, 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 is it really going to make any difference? Is, is it really going to make any difference? Does God really want what's best for me? I mean, I've prayed all these prayers in the past that he hasn't answered quite the way I wanted to, and my life still feels very broken. Um, does it really matter? Let me, let me say, I, I can't do a whole thing about this right now, but let me say three quick things about this. Number one, uh, let me kind of give you a straight shot of this, kind of like you're taking a, a straight shot of whiskey. Um, we have to remember that he's God and he's not our genie in the bottle. And so he's in charge and so we don't just get to our prayer is not simply directing him in what he needs to do he he's working all things for our good even though i may not feel like that right now and and we have to remember that okay that's kind of the all right that's kind of the hard truth we have to think about sometimes but god is also merciful and he's given us in his mercy this whole book of prayers in the psalms which, are, which, which have these prayers where people are wrestling with the fact that God isn't answering their prayers. Like, God, where are you? Why are you standing so far off? Why don't you hear my prayers? Why aren't you doing anything for your people? And that's actually in the Bible. And so God put those in the Bible for us, and we ought to use those and pray those prayers of, of I don't understand. He has mercy, and He, he lets us pray that. Uh, prayers like, uh, Psalms like Psalm 10. Psalm 13, you see people wrestling with the fact that God isn't answering their prayers. And the third thing, the third thing about our antidote to our cynicism, you don't have to remember, he, he loves you. He loves you. He isn't answering your prayer right now. And I don't know why he isn't answering your prayer right now, but he loves you and he's shown how much he loves you at the cross. And you have to get back to that. Uh, life gets in the way. Busyness gets in the way. My competence gets in the way. My cynicism gets in the way. And and look, I could encourage you um, if you're busy and you got you know 18 kids running around screaming at you all the time. You could pull Susanna Wesley, who had 10 kids, and would pull her apron up over her head and say, "Y'all yeah, got to leave Mom alone right now. I am praying." All right, and that you know that that would be somewhat helpful to do. Or, or I could say, "Hey." Just watch eight episodes of whatever you're watching on Netflix. And those last two, spend that time praying. And, you know, that, that might be helpful on, on some level. But I think there's something more fundamental going on when we are not praying. And I think if, if you can get what I'm about to say, it'll help you move forward in prayer. Um, I've been reading this book about John Owen, who is one of the English Puritans, and this quote jumped, just really jumped off the page in me. They said, For Owen, communion with the triune God was at the very center of the Christian sanctification and growth and holiness. Now, they didn't say, understanding this right, or understanding that right, or, or, or getting this doctrine right. He said, communion with the triune God is at the very center of the Christian sanctification and growth and holiness. We are called as a church to persistent kingdom prayer. Uh, but there's a, there's a type of prayer that has to go underneath 
that kingdom prayer and all around that kingdom prayer. Uh, some people have called this communion-centered prayer, and I don't mean anything goofy by this. And I don't mean like it's prayer that's centered on the Lord's Supper or anything like that. But it's, it's a type of prayer that's meant to give us a sense of God's presence and God's blessing and God's love. It's prayer that's not just me sitting down and asking God for stuff, but me sitting down with God in order to have fellowship with God, have a relationship with God. David prayed like this. In Psalm 27, David asked to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I'd like to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 63, O God, my soul thirsts for you because your love is better than life. I will praise you. You and I are made for a relationship with God. And and that phrase, you got to have a personal relationship. Like that, that, that sounds so cliche. Like it's this is Christian cliche. Yes, I know. It's not about this. It's about having a personal relationship, whatever that means. You, you and I were made to know God. We were made to be in a relationship with Him. We were made to experience what Adam and Eve lost. And you ever think about what Adam and Eve lost? What, what was God doing? The day they had sinned against him. What was he come look look? Why was he coming to look for them? What were they going to do? They got to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam and Eve got to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And they lost that. And we lost that. And all of history is driving toward the day when, when that's restored. When you and I get to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And prayer is the place in this this in-between time where we have the opportunity to get a taste of what it's like to walk with God in the garden in the cool of the day. And so we can get all hyped up about kingdom prayer and praying for the lost and we can involve ourselves in praying for others as a church, and I, and, I, and I hope that you'll do that. You should do that. But if that's not driven by communion with God, if, if that's not driven by the knowledge that God loved me so much that He wanted to walk with me in the garden in the cool of the day, and He so badly wanted to do that that He sent His Son to die for me to make that possible, if, if, if you don't get that, if, if I don't get that, then, then you're going to burn out on kingdom-centered prayer. Or you're going to feel guilty because you're not praying enough. But if, but if prayer is the place where I meet the lover of my soul, it, that's going to change everything in it. And all that other praying and asking is going to fall into its proper place. Uh, one of the reasons I'm talking about this is, is honestly, lately I felt a little burned out, kind of staggered across the, the, the finish line, as it were. And, and I've actually asked a couple of you, you've said, what can I pray for you for? And I've said, well, pray for my devotional life. And, and by that, I didn't mean just pray that I would read the Bible and pray. I meant pray that I would have times of sweet communion and fellowship with God. Let me see if I can get this another way. Our kingdom prayer dries up. Our prayer in period dries up or is non-existent 
Because our relationship with the Father has dried up. It's, it's, it's dysfunctional. And Christianity has just kind of become religion. And it's just stuff I'm supposed to do and I've, and I've always done. And there's no relationship in it. And the way that that gets rejuvenated is for you to see waiting at your, at your table, your breakfast table, uh, or your desk, or your favorite chair, or your back porch where you sit down to, to read the word and, and, and pray, for you to see waiting for you there a father who loves you. Like the, the, not waiting a, a chore for you to do, but for you to see waiting for you there a father who loves you and wants to spend time with you and wants to remind you how much he loves you. Uh, I heard the story a week or two ago about a guy named Dennis Rapp, uh, from a guy named Dennis Rapp, and, and he was talking about working in an animal shelter. He would go and he would walk dogs there a few times a week. And there was a dog in the animal shelter named Lake, and they had named Lake Lake because they found him by a lake. It was a very creative name. But, but Lake, Lake kind of had issues, and he especially had issues with men. And any time men got closer to him, he would, he would basically try to attack them. And so it's hard to get adopted from the animal shelter when you try to bite everybody that comes in. And so Lake was about two when he came in. He stayed there a year and a half. And nobody would take Lake. And so finally, Dennis Rapp, he starts trying to reach out to Lake. And he, you know, he's, he's angry at him at first, but he would give him treats. He would walk him. He, he, he built a relationship with Lake until finally he took Lake home. And he said there's a big board at the animal shelter with the name of whatever dog is going home that day. And Lake's name was up there. And everybody, when they walked by and saw that Lake finally had somebody who was going to adopt him and take care of him, that everybody would just kind of break down crying, like somebody's taking Lake home. And then when he left... He went outside and he put Lake in the car and he said everybody was taking pictures and celebrating that Lake was finally getting a home. And he put Lake in the back of the car and he said, I swear that dog was smiling as he sat in the back of my car. When, when I pick up the Bible and read it, I'm reminded that I'm Lake. That I'm Lake. That I've sinned. That I've been sinned against that I've responded angrily to being sinned against, and yet God has come after me, and God has wooed me, and God has welcomed me, and God has forgiven me, and God continues to forgive me, and God has brought me home and brought me into His family, and the angels in heaven celebrated the day that God brought me home. They, they were putting pictures on Angel Instagram, all right? Angelgram, whatever you want to call it. They were, they were excited and celebrating the day that God brought me home. When, when you and I sit down and we, we see that, when we get that, when, if, if I can meditate on that and allow my heart to be warmed by that, I'll begin to respond in praise. I'll begin to respond in thanksgiving it it will just come out of me i'll start to pray because i know the love of the father because i sense the love of the father and i'll begin praying that you would know the love of the father as well but not just know but to experience the love 
of the Father. I'll pray that others would would have that same sense of the love and the presence of God that I have. But I've got to have that first. Let me pray. Father, I do pray that we as a congregation would be uh, encouraged to pray big, uh, kingdom-centered prayers. That we would be encouraged to pray persistently for people to come to know you. That we would be encouraged to pray persistently for those things in our lives that we need. uh, Jobs, food, uh, health issues. That we would continue to come to you and bug you because you told us to come to you and bug you. But Father, I pray also in the midst of that, that that would not just be a, a dry academic exercise or that we would not treat you like a, a big genie in the sky, but that we would actually see how much you love us and that we would begin to grasp what it means to have communion with you and that we would not just think of sitting down to pray and read our Bible as this Christian duty that we're supposed to do, but that we would actually see that as a time of personal worship and a time for relationship and a time for you to speak to us and tell us how much we're loved and welcomed and cherished uh, in Christ. But Father, I pray that for each person here, that we would see that and know that and sense that and that it would be sweet to us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.